Well, good morning, everyone. So I thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, it does appear we might be having some technical difficulties with our video stream. So if that's the case right now, we apologize and we thank you for your patience. Uh, we're still going to go ahead and move on with the message this morning. Um, so like Brandon said, and as you saw in that slideshow, we do want to wish a very um, special happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. We owe a million thank yous and I love yous to our mothers. They play a vital role in shaping us into who we become. I, I know mine certainly did. The Lord is the creator and he is a master craftsman, infinitely wise. And being so, he knits together new life that is formed in his image in the womb of a mother. He has chosen women to become mothers, and he has seen fit to use the womb to be the vessel through which he brings the human race into existence. What a high calling this is. It was in the womb of a woman, Mary, that he chose to enter into this world to execute his plan of salvation. And oftentimes the Lord uses the prayers of a weeping, heartbroken mother to bring a person into saving faith. Mothers, today and every day, we celebrate you, we thank God for you, and we love you. Now, for this morning, many of our mothers taught us what it is that we know about love. And this morning, we will be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, to see what the scriptures have to say about loving one another. Really, we will see the prescription for a, a big, happy church family in this text. And it's fitting this morning, not only that it's Mother's Day and we're, and we're coming across this, but also that we're looking forward to possibly coming back into this building, um, if all goes well and, and the Lord is willing, that we will be gathering back into this building and, and slowly but surely resuming our services. And so it's fitting that, we, that we're hitting this text in this time through God's providence because we don't want to just come back in this building and just sit on chairs and then go home. We want to refresh our focus and renew the fire that is within us and renew our perspective and our understanding of what the church body is supposed to be about. The church was never meant to be a, a place of entertainment or a place of, of a, a social club of any sort. The church uh, was meant by Jesus Christ to be a, a beacon and a buttress of truth. We are meant to be united as one in Christ, walking in love. Jesus said, this is how they will know that you are my disciples, as if you love one another. And we're going to be seeing that this morning in this text. I'm reminded from this, this text of, of when me and my brother were young, much younger than we both are now, and we went through this phase where we just did not get along very well. I don't know what it was, but we constantly fought and bickered about everything. 
Somewhere my mom is saying, yes, amen, that's true. But we would fight and we would argue and we just had a temper with one another. And I remember my mom often saying, you're brothers, aren't you? Act like it. And so those words still ring in my ears, mom. I just want you to know you can, your words did not land on deaf ears. But this morning, as we look at this text, we could almost ask the same question. You all are brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't you? Act like it. And we'll see that from what Paul has to say about what it looks like to love one another. So if you will, I hope you've got your Bible handy now. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, and it's verses 12 through 14. This is the word of God. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, how we are so grateful for your word, how we are so grateful for this opportunity to to gather here, Lord. Father, I know that there's probably plenty of distractions with this live stream and with people being in their homes, but Lord, I just pray that in this hour, Lord, that your spirit just override all of those things, grab our attention, capture our minds. Open up our ears and our eyes to see beautiful and wonderful things in your word that we have not seen. And Lord, I pray that you do the work in our hearts that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. I pray that I would be nothing more than a vessel, a conduit through which you get your word to your people, that some might be saved and that you might be glorified. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we look at this text, we see that Paul is showing us some some Christian virtues that we are to put on because of the new life that we have in Christ. And and in this, we are seeing how God's family, how, how the body of Christ should interact with one another. Now, as we look at this section, let's let's take a brief moment to refresh our memory on where we were. I told you a few weeks ago that uh, when we started chapter 3, that we would be seeing some more practical teaching on, on how to live the Christian life. And no doubt we've seen that by now. We saw at the beginning of chapter 3 that we need to set our minds on heavenly things and, and seek things that are above because that's where Christ is. And you are no longer a citizen of the earth, but you are a citizen of heaven. And so we ought to put our minds there and our thought life ought to be on heavenly things. And last week we looked, about, looked at the section where we we're talking about putting to death that which is earthly within us. And so we see that our thought life now affects our actual day-to-day life and it affects our, our, our interactions with people and it affects how, how we behave now. We're putting off the old life because we have been made new in Christ. And this week, as you can see, we now transition to look at what we are to put on. 
It is certainly not enough that we merely be putting off the old life, but we need to also put on the new life. It needs to, the old life needs to be replaced with something. You can't be walking around spiritually naked. You can't have just your old life gone and nothing to replace it. We have to live in this new life. As such, we should not be known simply for all the things that we are against or all of the things that we don't do. You know, well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't watch rated R movies. Well, hallelujah, praise God. But it's obvious that you also don't smile either. And we don't want to be these kinds of people that just are, are adamantly against anything and never for anything. Now, don't use this as an opportunity to misunderstand me or to misquote me. You know very well that I preach a hard stance against sin and a hard stance against falsehoods and false teachings and lies. And as such, we all, all of us as Christians, we all have to have that, that same mindset that we are adamantly against sin in our lives and adamantly against falsehoods. However, that's not the full scope of the Christian life now, is it? No, of course not. Our lives should not be marked by what we oppose, but what we are for. In other words, that we are so for the sanctity of life that we adamantly oppose abortion. We are so for holiness in our own lives that we adamantly oppose our own sinful desires. We are so for being nearer to Christ that we adamantly oppose all that which would attempt to take our eyes off of him. This is how those who are God's chosen ought to be known. This is the idea being expressed as, as putting on. I, I think back to a, a time when I used to work for T-Mobile. And then in this time, I, I was a... Um, uh, doesn't matter what my position was. I was going into different stores, your Walmarts, your Best Buys, and um, all these different places where T-Mobile was sold. And I would walk in, and my uniform was this lovely, bright pink polo. I mean, this polo could be seen from space. It could be seen in the past. It could be seen in the future. It was so bright. It was a bright pink shirt. And so... Whenever I would show up, they, the, the employees there that knew me would say, oh, hey, it's the T-Mobile guy. And they would know just because of what I have on all of the things that I am against, at least cell phone and technology speaking, they would know that I'm against AT&T or Verizon or Sprint, right? They would know that I'm against all of them because I am for T-Mobile. I have put on my T-Mobile uniform. So therefore, without ever even having to speak a word, my stance was clear. I rarely would ever have to be speaking verbally against my competitors. It's not that I would back down from doing so, but I was just so for my company and believing in what we had to offer 
that it was clear where I stood, and it was clear the line that was drawn in the sand. And in the same way, we ought to be known just by what we have put on. And I'm not talking about your clothing, although that might have a part to play in it. But I'm not talking about your clothing. I'm talking about the virtues that you put on, that you walk in. People should be able to tell, yes, this person is nothing like the rest of us. Not because you stand in the corner throwing holy water on people, but just because of how you walk and how you live and the light of Christ shining through you. People should never be surprised when they hear you say, I'm a Christian. The idea here is that we wouldn't just be putting off the things of the world, but that we are putting on the things of heaven. We should be walking in this new way, living, thinking, acting, talking in this new way because we are his holy and beloved. I want you to look at this. This is the type of thing that we tend to just skim over. But in verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen, his holy and beloved. There's a historical aspect to this terminology here that we need to catch. You see, we are all Gentiles, at least the majority of us are. And as such, we did not have any part to play in God's promises to Israel. We didn't have any claim to to those promises that God has made to Israel. No, you see, the Colossians were Gentiles. They were not Israelites. They were not a part of the Hebrew people. And before Christ, it was Israel, the nation of Israel, that was known as God's chosen people. It was Israel who were the holy and beloved. It was Israel, the nation of ethnic Israel, who were God's chosen from among the nations to be holy and set apart for himself. But now... Because of the work of the cross, God chooses from both the Jews and the Gentiles those whom he will save. We saw this last week in verse 11 as, we, as well, that there is no longer any sort of ethnic or racial or social distinction. Right there, There's no longer Jew or Greek or there's no longer Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all. It is all about Christ. It is all about God and his sovereign choosing of his people. So now for us, in much the same way that God told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he went on to tell them to walk in his ways. It is the same for us today. God chooses to take us out of our own personal land of Egypt, our own house of slavery to sin. And then he sets us to walk in his paths, yet never does he just leave us somewhere in the middle. He takes us out of slavery to sin to bring us into relationship with himself, where he now calls us holy and beloved. A beautiful doctrine in our most precious gospel is that of justification. Justification is a legal term. 
And in our being justified, it means that we are declared righteous as though in a court of law. This is what happens in salvation, is that you were condemned as a sinner, but in faith in Christ, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you now stand in that same court of law as a new, justified, righteous creature. We need to grasp, though, that it does not end there. He justifies you in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ's perfect work. And as you stand before him justified, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This means that he is now moved to love you instead of judge you. You're still standing before the same judge. You have still committed the same crimes. The only thing that has changed is that Christ has dawned upon you his own righteousness so that you do not stand before him with the filthy rags of your own righteousness. You stand there with Christ's. And because of this, he is now for you. And he's not against you. He now looks at you and says, this one, this one is mine. This is my holy and my beloved. Now it's significant here that it says both holy and beloved. You see, the word holy here is referring to being set apart for God, set apart unto the Lord, that you are specifically and uniquely His But if it stopped there, it could be that some among us would begin to take on this mindset that, well, that makes me feel like I'm property and as though I'm just a a dish on the wall that God has just purchased and put in in his home, and that's all. But it doesn't stop there. And even if it did, that's still a better condition than what we were. But it doesn't stop there. You see... We are also his beloved. This word, beloved, it it means that we are loved with a strong affection and regard for our good. That God is looking out for your good. This is why so many things that you ask for in prayer never come to pass. Why? Because God loves you. This is why you're still single. Because God loves you. This is why you are saved and you are now in Christ because God loves you. You need to know this morning that if you are in Christ, everything that happens in your life Life, everything that happens in your life is because God loves you. And you are beloved, not because of anything in you. Understand, it's not that you are so precious and valuable that God loves you, but rather the adverse is true. It's that that God loves you. Therefore, you are precious and valuable. It is God who has determined your worth. It is not because you are intrinsically valuable. It is because God has set his heart 
on you. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says it this way. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, listen to this, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you. Because God loves you. Do you see that? Here he says to the Israelites, look, it's not that you were such a big deal. It's not that you were so fantastic in this great wealthy nation that I then chose you. In fact, the opposite is true. It's because you were not of any value and you were not a great mighty nation that I chose you. And now you are incredibly valuable because I chose you. It is God's choosing. God chooses his people to be his treasured possession. Why? Because he loves you and he chooses to. Tim Keller says it this way, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you see it is a, this dual reality that you are absolutely sinful, but in Christ you are absolutely loved. How can we understand this? To try to grasp the Father's love towards you would be like trying to gather the Atlantic Ocean into a cup using nothing but your bare hands. We see then our motivation to put on these virtues, these Christian virtues, our motivation is not a movement towards acceptance, but rather our motivation is because we are accepted. Do you see this? We're not earning God's acceptance by doing these things. We do these things because we're accepted and beloved of the Lord. So let's look at these virtues that Paul tells us to put on. The first one that we look at is, is compassionate hearts. There in verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. I want you to notice first in this list of virtues that we are to put on that these are not naturally found in you. You might think that you are this great virtuous person, person, but Paul is telling you to put these things on, telling me to put these things on because this is not who we are naturally. Instead, this is the new life that we need to be walking in. Compassionate hearts here is referring to a deep sympathy for another's suffering. It's to care what is going on in other people's lives. This can often be displayed in simply being there to listen to one another. 
just to hear someone out, just to hear someone pour out their heart of what they're struggling with. Not just staring at them while they talk and you're thinking about what you're going to do next. Or you're on the phone with someone and you're on speakerphone just scrolling through Facebook, waiting for that person to shut up about their problems. They always have problems. No, instead, compassionate hearts, they listen. Listen with compassion and show that I care. And that leads us to kindness. Kindness is closely linked to compassion as it has the element of concern and care for another. But kindness is then a ready disposition to respond to the needs of others. That you are ready to act in their favor. You've heard the phrase, acts of kindness. It is an acting in someone's favor. That's what this is. Be nice to one another. Act in favor of one another. This is more than just a shaking of the hand and a God bless you, brother. Remember several months ago when we were talking about fellowship, we talked about that that high-pitched greeting that we give one another when we're not actually excited to see someone, right? Hi, how are you? Well, that's not how you normally talk. Why are you talking like that? No, this is a real, genuine, a real, genuine, authentic kindness that is springing forth from your heart. It's not just a hug, but it goes beyond that to the kind of mindset that says, how can I bless this person? How can I share and show the love of Christ in this person's life? Then we go to humility. Humility is the recognition of the fact that we are all of equal value in God's sight. And none of us are here without God setting his sights on us. We're all equal. And we all are here just because God has set his sights on us. Here we really get the sense of of preferring another person's way over your own. That we not be prideful, insisting on our own way. Philippians 2, 3-4 through 4 says it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride. Notice, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And notice, this is not written just to pastors. Oftentimes we think, well, that's the pastor's job. No. Here in Philippians 2, 3-4, through he says, each of you, all of you, if you are a Christian, do this. Don't look only to your own interests, to your hobbies and and your busy life, but also look to the interests of others. Actively looking, how can I bless this person? Because I know that I'm not the most important person here. Christ didn't die just 
for me, and then everybody else has to earn their way. No. Instead, Christ has declared us all equally sinful, and in Himself we are all equally righteous. None is above the other. Instead, we should be the opposite. As one time in in, in the Gospels, the disciples were walking behind Jesus, fighting over who was the greatest disciple. And Jesus turns to them and says in, in not so many words, Don't you know that those who are least among you are first in the kingdom? Not the greatest among you. The least among you. So let's be humble towards one another. Your pursuits aren't the only pursuits that matter. We must consider others. And then we see meekness. Now, your Bible probably does not say meekness, but instead it says gentleness. The idea is the same. Meekness or gentleness is is acting in a manner that is gentle, mild, and even-tempered. This could be in how you respond to people. Have you ever asked someone a simple question and they snapped back at you? You were like, oh my goodness, what is going on with that person? Or better yet, have you ever been asked a simple question to which you snapped back at? That is not meekness and that is not gentleness. We are to clothe ourselves in gentleness. Don't be harsh with people. While we're at it, don't talk about other people. There's no room for gossip and putting one another down in the kingdom of God. Let's walk in gentleness and and meekness, speaking the truth in love. And then we see patience. And then as verse 13 starts, he says, bearing with one another. In the body of Christ, we are to bear with one another, not avoid one another because we can't bear to be around each other. We need to bear with each other. We are all going to be at different maturity levels in the faith. None of us, we are not all at the same time going to be at the exact same level, but we are all on the same narrow way. This means that we will easily be able to get under one another's skin and even offend one another. It is during these times, Paul says, that we must be patient with one another, bearing with one another, and even forgiving one another. But I want to say that word there, bearing with one another, literally is meaning to endure something that is difficult. So you might be thinking, well, pastor, you just don't understand how difficult this person is. The Word of God would say, yes, I do. Bear with them. Be patient with them. And if you become offended by something that happens, what do we see? Forgiving one another. Notice this, that Paul writes, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's let's think about this for a moment. How How is it that the Lord has forgiven you? Well, You were undeserving. You were in active rebellion against the Most High God. 
And he moved in forgiveness freely towards you. Though you had committed incredible offenses against the Father. Now I know that plenty of families have strain for one reason or another. Friends and co-workers and church members, we are all dealing with one another and we, are, we have all been offended and hurt at some point. But the message here is plain and it's the same for any and every context you have been forgiven by the Lord God himself. So do not withhold from forgiving someone else. Don't be holding grudges. There's no such thing as waiting for the right time. There's no such thing as, well, I have to see them change first. There's no such thing as, well, if I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. Look back at how God forgave you. Have you not sinned more since he saved you? Have you not continued to see brokenness and sin in your own life after he has forgiven you? In the same way that you have been forgiven, let us turn to forgive. Because God has forgiven you, and you are more undeserving of forgiveness from him than anyone else is of you. And lastly, the greatest of these is love. There's a way to be compassionate that is not loving. There's a way that you can be kind to people without ever even loving them. You can even walk in patience and meekness without ever loving your brother and sister in Christ. This love being spoken of here in, in verse 14 is, is not just any kind of love. It is agape love. Meaning it's the kind of love that is looking out for the best interest of others and putting others before itself. Putting love on top of all of these virtues binds them all together in perfect harmony. Now listen, we learn all of these virtues from who? From Jesus Christ himself. He displayed every last one of these virtues towards us. And it is in his precious gospel that we see this to be perfectly displayed. He had compassion on our poor situation as we stood condemned in our sins. He was moved to display his kindness by coming to the earth that he created, walking in humility and meekness, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. He then, in love, went to the cross where he bore our sins took them all on, every last one of them. And then he died, and he rose again, where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now if you, even as wretched and sinful as you are, if you will see how patient he has been in your life, not wishing that you would perish, but that you would come to repentance. He's, 
He bears with you. He endures waiting for you to come to repentance. And if you would look to Christ, putting all of your faith in him, and abandon your sins in repentance, the scriptures say that you will be saved. So what's the point here today? It's simple. It's that you have been created anew in Christ. And as such, you now stand positionally as holy before God, and relationally, you are beloved of God. And as such, you should make it your life's work to be putting off the old life with all of its deplorable practices. Put off the old life and to be putting on the new life. Christians should show their love for one another by walking in forgiveness, growing with patience, speaking with meekness and gentleness, preferring with humility, acting in kindness, and listening with compassion because we are God's chosen people who he has set apart for himself in love to love. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, how I pray that this morning, that this, this word, this beautiful word from your scriptures, God, these beautiful instructions of how to, how to live in the, in the new life, Lord, how to, how to put on Christ, how to walk in the example that he set for us, Lord. Lord, how I wish and pray, God, that, that you are working this in our lives, Lord. I pray that as we come back together in this building, Lord, whatever day it is, God, I pray that this, this passage would be true of New Life Baptist Church. That we would be these kinds of people, not because we just want to be nice and moral, but because we know and we grasp with our whole hearts that we have been made new. And we are new creatures in you. And we have put off the old life and we need to continue to put off the old life and the old way of thinking and the old way of acting and walk in newness that you have provided, that you have purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. May you be glorified in us and among us. And I pray that you be with all of us today and all of the mothers, Lord. I pray that they feel your love through their children. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.